Hello and welcome to Waterproof Records, my Waterproofians. We are back with another episode and today I have a guest who I am so excited to introduce to you. Dave Holmes is someone that I was introduced to watching MTV in 1998 as one of the competitors on this show, Wanna Be a VJ. He was a finalist up against Jesse Camp and I remember watching and thinking, this guy, Dave Holmes, knows so much about music, he should win. Well, They ended up giving it to Jesse Camp, but thankfully, Dave Holmes continued to work at MTV, and uh, he has had an incredible career in entertainment. If you don't aren't familiar with Dave's work, he is a writer, he's an actor, he's a television personality. Um, he hosted a lot of shows on MTV, 120 Minutes, Say What Karaoke. He went on to do shows for FX, CBS. He's been in movies. He was a recurring character on Reno 911 called Leslie Frost. Dave Holmes is just one of the most cool, well-rounded, and knowledgeable guys in music, and he has two successful podcasts. One was a limited Limited run. Um, it was about this band, Sudden Impact, from the early '90s that just came and disappeared. And the the show is called Waiting for Impact. It was a ten episode run, and uh, it's just such a clever idea for a show. So you should check that out. And then he has his uh, other podcast, which has been going on for a long time with him and Matt McConkey. It's called Homophilia, and that's LGBTQ conversations about what their celebrity guests are are into, loving, who they love, all that great stuff. So you should definitely check out his work. He has a book out there um, and it is called Party of One, a memoir in 21 songs. I know I'm definitely going to be picking that one up as well. Um, But let's get to the theme song so we can talk about our guest. And thank you again for joining me for another Waterproof Records. It's time to talk with Dave Holmes. Let's go. We're about to dig into it, but before we get started and welcome Dave onto the show, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my sponsor, DistroKid. You hear me talk about it on the show, and I do love DistroKid, what what they do, how they help you get your music available online immediately. DistroKid is a service that you can upload your songs, and you can be on every streaming platform, including YouTube, and get your music out there in the world like that. And I have a link for you. It is my own personal special link. It's a VIP link and it's listed on all my socials. But if you want it right now, it is distrokid.com slash VIP slash waterproof. And that will get you 30% off your first year. So make sure you're using that link. Um, It's really the easiest way. They have an iOS app for your iPhone where you can sign up there or log in if you already have an account. They make it so easy to check the money that you've got coming in from your streams upload songs, check how things are doing. It's just, it's it's easy, it's amazing, it's inexpensive, and with my link, 30% off your first year. So don't forget, I love DistroKid, and you will too. So check out distrokid.com slash VIP slash waterproof to get that 30% off. But now, the moment of truth, the moment we've been waiting for. I am so excited about our guest here on the show today. I feel so fortunate to do what I do, and when it leads me and connects me to people that I've admired, I have been a fan of Dave Holmes since I first saw him on MTV, followed his career, and so excited whenever I see him pop up. And when we got a chance to chat and he agreed to come on the show, I was just thrilled about it. So I am so happy to have Dave Holmes. Welcome. Welcome to Waterproof Records. 
Oh my God, pleasure to be here. This is so exciting for me. Huge uh, fan. It's Thank you. Thank you very much. And likewise, I like oh, your work. Thank you. Thank you, sir. That means a lot coming from you. As, uh, as someone I watched on the television when I was just starting college and I was going, this guy knows everything about music. He's one of wow. those encyclopedic brains about music. Has that I mean, always been your thing? Kind of, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I will tell you, I don't. There's a lot I don't know about or even understand about music anymore. Um, but I, I think I think that's kind of, you know, I mean, some of it is age and some of it is just, you know, every everything is coming at you from a, a million different angles and nobody can really keep up with it all, I don't think. But um, but yeah, in my youth, I was really I was really fascinated by the world of music. Yeah. And uh, um, yeah, I, I like I. I liked to read Billboard magazine when I was a kid. You know, I, was, <laughs> I love that. I was real nerdy about it. Um, I can't. I come from like nobody in my, in my immediate family plays music, but right. Uh, you know, we're uh, you know of Irish descent, so there was always music in the house, and uh, and it was sort of you know like I, I just it was it was I was I'm much younger than my siblings, so like the one thing that we could all do together would be to sing along with the radio and so that was you know i love that part of my life yeah yeah i similar i um my parents aren't musicians um i mean my mom would probably be like hey i play piano but uh <laughs> but she but, she never kept up with it it was like that you know that intro we had a piano in the house and um but i also am of irish descent and music was constantly playing in my home i guess that must be like an irish thing so because like is. there is it i i, it I did not know but music was always playing in the background. My mom, and to this day, you go to her house, and she still has a little stereo or radio or something trying to constantly play music. And so for me, that's kind of something I've carried on into my life. And and I'm always surprised when my friends and my peers and other people I meet, I'm like, oh, they don't, everybody doesn't do that. Everybody doesn't just have music constantly playing in their home. Isn't it weird? Isn't yeah. that weird? Yeah. Like, yeah, for me, I mean, we, we don't really have this anymore, but like in the 90s, when I would like go to someone's apartment yeah. and they'd have like seven CDs. I would right. be like, what? What? And, and they're all like <laughs> the bodyguard soundtrack. Right, like, right, the right. The dirty dancing soundtrack. And A compilation and, like, disc, you know. Greatest like, hits compilations. Okay. It was like, what? I don't, what's your, what is, how sad for you? Right, you know? right. You're missing um, out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I was, you know, my hoarder ass, like just, you know, a ton of cassettes and, and CDs and just and mixtapes and everything. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 always been uh, just a, a, a huge part of my life. And yeah. uh, and, and it was um, like I never really had any talent for it. But like, I don't know, it was uh, it was my like weird uh, idiot savant area. You know, yeah, throwing same. myself into into pop Same, same. Um, that's that's always been something. As you know, you grew up in St. Louis, correct? You were born I in did. New Jersey, but you, you grew up in St. Louis. Grew up in St. Louis, yeah. Um, yeah. And I grew up in Oklahoma, and and where I grew up, most most of the boys uh, were really into sports, and sure. uh, you know that was a that was a common thing. And so I never got into athletics, and I never the memorization that would go around you know, athletics and sports and sports stars and things like that. My memorization went into music 
and into and to movies. You know, that was another obsession of mine as well. Um, but it was I think that when you have those environments, those small little pockets of life, you kind of assume like, well, everybody's like this. Um, yeah. And it isn't until you're older that you go like, oh, there's just a very specific group of people that are super into music. And then there's an even smaller percent that have to know everything <laughs> that yes. need to learn as much as they can. They need to read up. They need to know the story. They need to know the context and they become yeah. obsessive. And I'm sure you found this in your life. Like you said at the beginning, I don't know all of it. But when you put yourself in a position in the public eye where you are very knowledgeable on music, people kind of assume that you they'll, they'll throw things at you left and right all the time. And you're like, I don't know that. And they're like, how can you not? And you're like, well, there's a lot, yeah, a lot of music. There's a lot of genres. You, you know, you, you can't, can't keep up. Possibly with it. keep yeah. up. You can't possibly keep up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's wild, and it's you know, in the Midwest, it is so strange, and it's still this way. That like little boys are expected to like go bananas about sports. Yeah, it just it is. seems so weird to me. It seems like, so I, weird. I, yeah, I like I guess I understand the idea behind putting kids in like sports programs because it's just like it's, it's you can put them away for a couple hours and let them run their energy off and <laughs> right. whatever camaraderie so that I get sure, sure. yeah teamwork. Yeah. Uh, resilience, like, you know, that kind of thing. But, like, the idea of taking it further and making, you know, expecting young boys to, like, really care about who's the quarterback or whatever. It's so, it's weird. It's weird. And I am spoiled uh, living in California for as long as we have. I have two sons, and I forget I forget because when you live in a, in a place like Los Angeles area and in California, you forget that there are still so many places in the rest of the country and in and, and other places in the world that are doing things like business as usual. Right. It's like we, the, the boys do this, the girls do this. And this is what's expected. And I, I feel I feel very lucky. I feel very fortunate because my sons have all the flexibility and wiggle room to be into whatever they want to be into. And it's yeah. totally OK. And it's hilarious, though, because here I am, this rock dad, and my oldest has no interest in my genre of music in the slightest. And no, my my youngest, so should be. Yeah, right? I know here I was showing him, you know, showing him Nirvana, Pumpkins, Rage. And he's like, that's that's all right. You know, and uh, mm-hmm. and then my youngest verdict's still out. You know, he's he's eight. He hasn't made his own major life decisions yet. He's still kind of, you know, surveying life and his brother yeah. and what everybody's into. But yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? California it is because like. If you want to be into sports, you can be. And Absolutely. Several teams that I am told. I've heard of, I've heard of them and I've heard they, heard they do them. great. <laughs> yeah. But it's you can also fully check out. Like, yeah. you know, it's in St. Louis, if the if the Cardinals uh like made the World Series Right. Everybody wore red. Everybody had a flag on the, the car. whole city honking at everybody. Every radio station was talking about it all right. day long. Like out here, it's like it's you know, yeah, it's it's like, like the Rams some of it. Can be in the Super Bowl, and you if you didn't if you didn't 
inquire about it, you would never know in a million years. Yeah, it's it's um, an it's an interesting it's sports city. It's it is it yeah. is. That's a very good good point because there's pockets. Sure, if you're going to go down and and see a Laker game and something big is going on with Lakers and you're in a certain area of town, then everybody's in it. But it's not. It's and that's probably the fault of L.A. being as sprawling and so massive. Fast. And so yeah. if you live by the beaches is so different than if you live in Hollywood or if you live in the Valley and, and totally anybody who's ever moved here. And I'm sure you've had this experience too, before they come here, you almost have to break down like a schematic of like, okay, well, what's the vibe? <laughs> what's the, yeah. what's the energy? Where do you want to live? And this is, this is this kind of, you know, area here and this is expensive. This is less expensive. This is, you know, not so great. And it's just, it's just so there's so many places you can choose to live in LA. And once you get in your pocket, you kind of, kind of stay there for for a long time yeah you do you really do yeah i got a friend coming moving here from new york and uh and he and his wife are like you know zillowing and whatever but i'm I'm like it's not so much that i want him to live near me but it's like i i i want him to take very seriously oh the absolutely you know like are you sure about mar vista because right. then it's like, then that is a whole different world. Oh, you know you, what I mean? You I said had a friend it. move to Playa del Rey 15 years ago. I haven't seen him. You know what I mean? And <laughs> it's not even that I haven't seen him. It's just, it's that like, he is fully like a flip flops and like, you know, yeah. keg on Wednesday guy. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. oh that's because you moved to Playa del Rey. Yeah. That's where you, that's where you decided would be. Your, your universe. And I, I mm-hmm. have told that to many people. I'm like, look, if you are a really good friend and you live just too many cities apart, just the nature of the beast is we're not going to hang out that often. Not because I don't love you, not because I don't enjoy time, but we will have to have very planned out opportunities yes. to get together because it's just yeah. one of those cities that you it, it's so difficult to get mm-hmm. all the way over there so if somebody a spontaneous says spontaneous drink will never happen never a spontaneous drink will never happen and if if you live in LA and somebody says hey I'm moving to San Diego it's like well we're not going to see each other I hope you know that right. you're you're yeah. so far away <laughs> yeah yeah I mean yeah it's it's totally yeah if, if it's it is as though they're saying they're moving to you know Reno, Nevada, if totally. Be in Santa Monica. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's exactly. uh, it's wild. Speaking of sports, speaking of LA sports. Yeah, uh, I'm just gonna say this. I um, and it was, it was strictly because of work, but uh, I I was at the Super Bowl that the Rams won last. You were. Year. Yeah, that's and awesome. We were like we were not there. We were front row. Like, Whoa. We were directly like behind the Rams, and uh, and you know incredible tickets and an incredible game. And SoFi Stadium is, is really beautiful and, like, yeah. state-of-the-art and whatever. And, like, for a moment, just just because we were there and it was so exciting and the game was so good, I was like, do I like this? I know. Like, if, if it is, if you decouple it from, like, all the male shit, mm-hmm. like, just, like, in essence, do I enjoy I might like sports. I mean, I, I I don't. I forgot everything that I saw, you know, right. that day. But like, it was fun. It was yeah. exciting for a minute. You know, I get it completely. Um, yeah, but it, it's you know, it, it just needed to not be like the dominant thing. I think yes. you know, yes. the, the fact that it was the dominant thing of my youth made me sort of resent it or go another way or whatever. I don't know. I have I had a chip on my shoulder about it for the longest time, and that's really what 
I think made it so difficult. And I get taken to basketball and baseball games all the time through work or social events. And I can usually go and enjoy myself. You know, you have a beer, you have the food, you, you, you get it caught up in the enthusiasm and I can enjoy it um, while I'm there. But I, I, it took me a long time to even be able to get to that place because, you know, you probably have similar experiences being in the Midwest with that mentality means that a lot of the kids that were into it were assholes. They were assholes. And there was a it was difficult being an outsider and being into things that not everybody's into and being into the arts and being into music and not knowing how to catch a football. You know, I remember as an adult, I I had to film something and it was like a skit and they had me throw and play and catch. And my friend goes, have you never learned how to? He's like, that is the worst football toss I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, I've never learned, yeah. nor do I no. care. Yeah. <laughs> but No, I but never did learn. I never yeah. learned because it just wasn't something I, I took an interest in. And as I've gotten older, I'd be, I'd be like, oh, I can see the enthusiasm, the excitement, getting behind a team, really having your players that you enjoy. And, and that being your thing, I can get it. why. But it's just that culture that you have to yeah, remove. Right. And, and it's like if you if you're turned off by the culture – Right. And if you're, um, if it's, if you already kind of know that it's not your thing, yeah. I found as a kid, I could not shake off the self-consciousness. Of yeah. It. yeah. You know what I mean? Like there is something about if you're in, if you're in the majority, if you're with the group or with the team or whatever, there, you can loosen up in a way that like allows you to do well and also allows you to like fail and then shake it off yeah. and not, not like be like, God, oh, you know, not shut down completely, yeah. but just be like, Oh, you know, that was a bad throw or did I, you know, whatever. Exactly. Um, I ran the wrong way or whatever. And then just shake it off and move on. If you, if you're not of it, I found that it was like, it was impossible for me to, I was just too self-conscious to, to, you know, retain anything or be of any use to anyone. Same, same. Wow. Yeah. We have such similar um, upbringings and, uh, you know, kind of that same energy around our, our childhoods. And so I, I, I think one of the things I was most interested in is, um, let's get in a little bit of, of your, you know, your introduction to music and the album that you chose and, you know, you to me were introduced in my life as, you know, I want to be a VJ on MTV. That's where I first Mm -hmm. saw your face Mm -hmm. and I made a video about it about a year or two ago. Where I was like, everybody remember this show, and and there I was, I was watching, and Jesse and you are the finalists, and I, you know Jesse, while he had this certain kind of slacker, Polly Shore, you know, scarf thing going on, which was very MTV. Yeah, I'm looking scarf over scarf thing going on, <laughs> scarf thing going on. I'm looking over at you. And I'm going, you know, at the at the time I was a huge Matt Penfield fan and I was watching 120 minutes and I was like, this guy, this this is the guy. This is the guy. This guy's got the knowledge. He's got the the all the stuff in his head and he should be the VJ. He should be the VJ. And I know there are so many like like me that felt the same way. And then Jesse wins. And I was like, oh, man. And uh, oh, so sweet. Was, I was so heartbroken. I remember I remember just talking, getting in conversations about it all the time. I was like, Dave Holmes should have won. Dave Holmes should have won. Yeah. Yeah. I was so I was so uh, supportive of you. And I was like, I just that, you know, because I think as somebody who is also a lover of music. I could see it in your eyes. It's like he's a lover of music. He's not a guy who right. just knows the facts. He's not rattling them off because he he reads a lot, which you do too, but I'm just saying right. you were a lover 
And I think we can yeah. see each other and I could see you on my TV and I was like, that guy loves music like I do. And I want him to have this so bad. But I was glad to find out that MTV put you to work, even though you didn't win the contest. Yeah, they did. They did. And, you know, that, and it's it's because I like kind of wouldn't let them not, <laughs> you know, like I <laughs> good. Um, it was it was, you know, like meeting Jesse once we got down to like the top 10 Mm-hmm. Um, and in the top five, it was like, well, obviously this guy's gonna win, you know? Because like, oh, you you kind of sense that? I yeah, I was yeah. like, I kind of, I just want to get as far as I can go. But like, you know, if you yeah. if you let the the kids vote for the thing, mm-hmm. um, like, of course they're gonna be attracted to somebody who's like a a character. I like I the the idea that like voters would vote for me was yeah. just like they're probably not, but. I'm here and I'm meeting people and I didn't like my regular job. And I, and I thought like, I, this can turn into something. Maybe I can become a, I didn't even know what a production assistant was at the time, but I was like, sure. maybe I'll, you know, like that guy running around with a headset over there. Maybe I could do that. And, uh, and so, you know, and so then I didn't win and it was like, okay, that's kind of a, because it did get close and it was like, maybe this will happen. Um, and it didn't, but then, you know, there was a rap party and, the people that I had, had met and worked with that week were all uh, were all very kind, and and I got everybody's business card, and I just I just remember thinking like the uh, the, the doors open this much, right? And 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 I was old enough to know also that like by Wednesday everyone here will have forgotten what just happened. That's so, true. Like, I need to call and email and like very quickly like come up with show pitches and just like whatever just wow. call as many times or email as many times as I can before they either say leave us alone or come in cuz maybe there's a writing job on this thing and it you know it worked out it worked yeah. out yeah amazing amazing it worked out so so this goes we go back now we're in St. Louis you're you're a little kid and you're hearing music and what kind of music is are your parents playing around the house as our Irish um, families do Yeah <laughs> uh I mean you know my my folks were married in the early 50s so that was kind of the time uh, I mean they're they my mom remains obsessed with Frank Sinatra Okay um yeah I mean just he, yeah uh yeah, he is excellent he's a uh Jesus-like figure within our home, um, and and so there, there was a lot of that. Uh, there was a lot of like you know the fifties were the time of the blockbuster like uh, original Broadway cast recording sure, albums, sure, Camelot and West Side Story and uh, the Music Man and and that kind of thing. Um, but my so my folks were in their forties when they had me, and they and they had not yet like disengaged from pop music completely makes so makes sense Beatles in there yeah my first like real musical memory is paul mccartney and wings like before the beatles paul mccartney and wings oh really on am radio yeah um silly love songs and jet and band on the run and and all that um and then so my uh my oldest brother started college in the late 70s 79 i think and he came home with albums from like the Clash and right. uh, um, the B-52s right. and, um, you know, and Blondie and the Cars and that kind of thing. And then 
you know, those years were such an explosion of great sort of slightly left field music. Right? Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, the, the English beat and, uh, right. um, and the specials and, and things like that. So I would, you know, I would constantly raid his record crates. And, as you uh, do, as a younger as sibling, you, you got to raid the crate. Yeah. Got to do it. Got to do it. Uh, he and my other brother were both very into Bruce Springsteen. Um, but it was it was really like it was raiding Dan's record crate and listening to things that no one else my age knew about. Uh, that was like that was sort of the gateway from being like, you know, somebody who liked to listen to music to somebody who was like obsessed with it. Yes. Because it was like it, it wasn't only good music that was a little bit unusual. Um, it was stuff that I was the only one who knew about. And that's such a fun. Absolutely. It is so fun. It was, that was so cool. Pre-internet when you were, when you were, when you could find something and you felt like it's mine. I'm the only one who knows about this. I'm the only Mm -hmm. one, (laughs) even though there were obviously others, but it felt that way. Right. It felt that way. And, um, and I think part of the thrill of being the only person who likes something. Yeah. Is that there's the possibility of, of, then becoming the first person who likes something. Yes. You oh, know, um, absolutely. Because sometimes, you know, these things that are just yours, like, catch on in a big yeah. way. And you yeah. kind of get to be like, yeah, I was on that. I was on that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I knew I knew about that. I appreciate you. Yeah. I'm glad you guys finally came around uh, to yeah, appreciate this incredible to artist. Yeah. 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 That's, and it's, you know, for, for, for a kid who's like, does, doesn't like, isn't good at sports and doesn't care. Doesn't um, care. It like it's it can uh, it can give that kid an identity, you know, yeah. or, or uh, it's like, you know, everybody's got to have a, like a thing. Yes. And uh, and so that that became my thing. And uh, and then I kind of like kind of ran with it. The first music that I felt like was really like mine was early R.E.M. Yeah. And um, uh, I, I remember getting Reckoning from uh Columbia House, you know, yeah. 12 albums for a penny or whatever it was. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we all did that trick. Yeah. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> uh, well, and that trick got played on us. Yeah, absolutely. So then it, we ended it, up overpaying for the thing that ended up in your mail that you didn't ask for. And then you're like, you uh, now I got to pay for this. Yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, that was that was that was bad. Gotta, it was a very, very clever it, it, trickery to us to us youngins yeah. trying to buy music. The whole um, industry is uh, uh, straight up evil. But anyway, um, but yeah, so like I, I got very into not only like j- music as a whole, but the, the the idea of like knowing about it first and reading as much as I possibly could about it and yeah. and all that kind of thing. It was like uh, it, it was like all of that was coming from a world that was in color and the world that I was growing up felt very black and white. Oh, that's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it. That's what it felt like in Tulsa as well. Felt like yeah. open opening the doors to something that nobody else was seeing. Like you, you, like the, you know, like your color in your eyes. You could see more than everybody else. Um, I was gonna say. So I asked Dave before he came on the show because I do waterproof records. Your unsinkable tunes from the past, present, and future. I said, what is your waterproof records? Uh, you know, what is your waterproof record? As in, what's the one that really sparks something? And leave it to this guy that I saw on TV who had an encyclopedic knowledge to drop an artist on me that embarrassingly so I was yeah. completely unfamiliar with. I had no 
background, no knowledge, no understanding. And so you are introducing me to this. This is just like we're kids again and you're in, but you're like way in for a long time on this artist. Yeah. And I want you now to share with the listeners, who did you choose as your first choice? My first choice uh, was an artist named Tommy Keen, who uh, his, his major label debut album was called Songs from the Film. And it came out in 1986, mm-hmm. uh, so I guess I would have been 14, 15, and uh, and and you know, like as we were talking about, I I was like the only person who liked a lot of stuff, right? Right. And uh, and so you know, and, and because of that, I read a lot. I would read you know Rolling Stone, and I would you know sneak peeks of Billboard at the newsstand, and because those were expensive, that would be like seven dollars, and I didn't. I oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and and uh, there was a um, there was a zine in St. Louis called Jetlag, and uh, and so I would like I would pick that up at the uh, at the the record store and whatever, and uh, and Tommy Keen was an artist whose name uh, was mentioned a lot, and he, he had uh, he had done a couple of EPs that like the Village Voice put in there like um, you know their critics poll and it, like near the top and. And and I was I was just sort of curious about him and and the the people that they uh, that the reviews or that whatever press mentions he got uh, likened him to were artists already liked like right. uh, like REM or mm-hmm. um, uh, Marshall Crenshaw or whatever and so so I was like I I bet I'm gonna like this guy so I I remember like just fully taking a chance and taking my you know allowance money or my lawn mowing money or whatever it was mm-hmm. and uh and going to the you know record bar at the mall and getting songs from the film when it came out and i listened to it and i was like i fell in love with it immediately um because it has that sort of jangly quality yeah. that that my like favorite music has um i've been i've been like I heard that kind of jangle in a in a, a a song recently that I love and have loved for a long time that I can't remember what it is now, but it I, it was like it hit me very hard that like oh that like sort of jangly guitar tone is that's the thing like that's it's, it connects it gets me it just yeah. it grabs me every time yeah um uh like you know REM and Let's Active and stuff like that in the early eighties and like real estate now it like they're they do a similar thing and it gets me every. Um, and so anyway, so I fell in love with this album. And I also, like, um, I was the only one who knew it. So R.E.M. was starting to take off at this time. And, like, more and more people that I knew started to like them. And they were not my sole, like, property anymore. Right, right. Everybody um, knows about R.E.M. now. They're getting the music video play. Yep. It's the end of the yep. world as we know it. Video is going. And people exactly. are like, who's this? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 like people who used to kind of make fun of me for listening to it because they had never heard of it were suddenly right. listening to it. And it's like, okay, are we going to address that ever? <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, yeah, all right, I guess we're just going to move on. We're going to move so, on, fine, but, fine. Yeah, but yeah, so this, there was something about him that I kind of felt like this is never going to catch on in a huge way as like as much as I love it. Like there's, there's something not right about it some somehow like i can the get lyrics, that some yeah. times are a little clunky and there's there's just something about it that doesn't quite work as like super mass appeal music which made it feel like not only that i was the only one who knew about it 
or who loved it, but that it needed me. You yes. know what I mean? Oh, There's gosh. Like, there was like a feeling of like, like music is great when it's communal and when there's a stadium full of people all singing the same thing. That's great. Um, but there's also something about somebody just doing a thing in a studio and putting it out there and just being like, I don't know. And then some stranger picks it up and connects to it. And uh, and I love that. And I love it when it is like, when it does feel like a very, um, like a very personal exchange between two people yes. who don't know each other at all. You are and speaking so, my language so much. It's just these yeah. kind of ways that you describe something. I go, yes, yes, yes. So intimate. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. And so anyway, so I just, I kind of, I don't know. I just fell in love with it. Uh, and uh, and I listened to it all the time. And he was like my guy. Tommy Keene was my guy. Yeah. And um, he uh, he was in a movie. I forget what the movie is called now. But there, there's an Anthony Michael Hall movie when, when like, really? they sort of tried to make him an action hero briefly in, like, 1987, yeah. 88. Yeah. Um, I was, like, on the run or out of bounds or something. <laughs> and he was uh, – and he did a couple songs in it and was in a couple, of like, club scenes. And so they released an EP uh, of, of songs from that period shortly after songs from the film. And he played – Mississippi Nights in St. Louis, Missouri, a great club on Laclede's Landing. And uh, it was an all-ages show. And I was still not 16, I don't think. But my, my oldest brother uh, took me down, and there was one other girl from the girls' school uh, that my boys' school was sort of, they were like brother-sister schools. Right. Um, another girl who I had done like the spring musical with who knew Tommy Keene, and I was like, let's go. And so we went, and very few people were there. Which yeah. I was like, this is a tragedy. Yeah. Um, and everyone who was there was in, at the bar. So we were in like the all ages se- section. And he played a set and we danced through the whole thing. And we were, and it's not dance music. Right. And right. We, were the only, we were the only people dancing. You were um, jangly dancing. You were jangly, we were jangly guitar jangly dancing. <laughs> we were jangly dancing. But even then, it was just like, we, yeah. he, we need, he needs us. Um, he needs and he, us. Uh, he signed my flyer and he said, thanks for dancing. And, uh, and I was like, oh, my God, this is incredible. I met Tom Keene. And, uh, and so, yeah, so I, I kept up with him forever. He did a, uh, another record for Geffen in 89 uh, called Based on Happy Times that is also very good. Um, and then he got dropped, and, uh, and he was, like, never, you know, he was, he was beloved by, by many in the, in the, like, critic community and the, like, rock nerd community. Yeah. But he never really broke through beyond that. And, uh, and so, yeah, so there was nothing from him for a long time. And then, and then he sort of made a comeback later in life, which we can get into. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. That was, I've, I've already talked your ear off. No, 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 no. I, you're, you're, you're a guest that I could, I could sit and listen and talk to all the time because I mean, you, you ended up on TV and ended up having these podcasts for a reason. You know, you're, you're somebody that I enjoy hearing from and your insight and, you know, learning about Tommy Keene. This is one of the fun parts of this show is is being knowledgeable about my sphere. You know, I have my own sphere of music for sure. And when you mentioned the fact that the album landed in your, you know, on you at 14, 15, it's like, well, that makes sense because that it seems yeah. to be the magic time for when yeah. you, you discover a band, you discover an artist and just all your hormones and pubescent stuff is happening and it just clicks in your brain and locks in and goes like, this is, this is your artist. And, yeah. uh, it's amazing. And so you, you tell me Tommy Keene and I'm looking him up 
and you sent me this really great performance on Conan, which I watched. And I'm reading through the comments, and I'm like, he was beloved. The fans that loved him were like, it was a shame that he he didn't, you know, get bigger. And then I see that he passed away. Yeah. And when he passed away in 2017 or something. Yeah. And so not too long ago. And I was like, man. So, yeah. you know, you, I'm yeah. glad you got a chance to see him live when you were a kid, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, amazing. okay. So, so, so get this. So, okay. all right. Um, so it doesn't do anything for a while. And then, um, and I guess it would have been 1996, he released an album called 10 Years After. Okay. Uh, kind of referencing the fact that, like, songs from the film was supposed to, you know, have been big. And it right, was, right. And, and it was 10 years yeah. later. And it was on an indie label that I don't, I don't recall. Um, but he was back and I was like, well, this is fucking great. And, and that album is outstanding. Um, there was as part of wannabe VJ, there was a challenge where we had to run across Broadway to the Virgin Megastore, like during a commercial break or something. Yeah. And pick the three albums that like define us. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I chose songs from the film as one. Amazing. And uh, so this is in 1998 by then. I think he yeah. might have um, released another sort of compilation or something. Sure. You know, in, in at around that time. And so Songs from the Film was one of my picks. And it, I guess it got back to Tommy's manager, uh, who then got a hold of me through the network. Uh, and Tommy was coming uh, to New York as uh, like on tour to play, I think, Brownies. Okay. In East Village, and uh, and I, of course, was already going. Um, but he was like, you know, let me know if you want to, uh, you know, like come backstage and say hello. And I was like, well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I do. Of course I do. Of course I do. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so I went to the show, and it was packed, uh, small venue, but it was packed. Sure. And like, it was Jacob filled with guys like us. Really? You know I mean, it was. Yeah. It was like these our rock, our people. Our people, yeah. Um, uh, and like some, so are people that I was like, maybe you're not me. You know what I mean? Totally. Like, there are there yeah. are ones that have taken this to a place where you go, you have somehow sucked the joy out of everything yes. that I love yeah. because it's There's become like, yeah. so niche and so particular, yeah. and everything has to be so specific yeah. that you're driving me crazy. So our I know thing, exactly what yeah. you mean. Our thing can can very easily tip over into comic book guy it can it can be uh, the so well actually guy yes the oh, the, oh. no we've we got to be vigilant for that vigilant we it could, it could be <laughs> it, could, it could happen in the blink of an eye it really can um, yeah so you know but anyway so people had like vinyl and posters and things for him to sign and, and stuff love it and love uh it. yeah it was like it was great it was just it was great and and it, and he put on a terrific show um, and so I did go backstage and I did say hello and I did mention that I saw him in St. Louis and dance. And he's like, I remember that. And I don't know. <gasps> but, but, but still, but still, I was hoping still, he would, you would say I remember still, that. That's great. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I like got his email address and we sort of, you know, exchanged emails here and there. I was like afraid to, you know, sure. Like, there are certain people, I have a few numbers in my phone that I'm like, it's not probably okay that they're there because like i could i could 
I could flip. Like the the fanboy cork could come out of my oh, mouth or thumbs. You couldn't and have could said it like, better. The fanboy you know I mean? cork. <laughs> the yeah. Fanboy cork. Do you know what I mean? Oh my gosh! Uh, well, yes. I, mean, I, I I think you do know what I mean. I know exactly what you mean because I have yeah. to be careful to do it with you, and I have to okay. be careful with everybody that I that I have admired. That it just there's a cork that I could easily yeah. lose, and I could start geeking yeah. out really fast. Yeah. So yeah. back to your so story. It was, yeah. So it was that. It was very much that. Um, but then, so I moved out to LA like 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he was already here, um, which I didn't know. And like, he didn't really seem like a California type of guy. Um, but he lived up in Nichols Canyon. Okay. Uh, and, in like a big house. And he was like, and he was gay, which I didn't know. Oh. Um, at, like at the time, I didn't know. And in fact, I don't think until I moved out here, I knew. Um, but uh, his partner was like a finance guy and they had this giant house. Yeah. And uh, and so like he invited me over, like he was having some people over and so I went and, you know, we, we were like, I wouldn't say we were friends because right. I was afraid. I was very much on high alert when I was around him. Yeah. Um, not because of him, but 100% because of me. Um, but we were like friendly. We would like, sure. you know, um, you know, see each other on occasion. And I never missed him live if it was within a few hours drive. And um, so, yeah, so I got to know him and, and we have like, you know, friends in common and, and stuff. So uh, that was always, just knowing that was always very strange. And like reconnecting with him, well, connecting with him as a person and reconnecting with his music in adulthood it, and and finding out that he was a gay person mm-hmm. was like, a lot of it made sense because there is so much like there is like a yearning in the in the in the music and in the lyrics that's like um that's difficult to define and that's just sort of um it's just kind of it's imbued with with a with like a a melancholy and a and a like a a need to connect and uh and it was like, oh well, f- of course it makes sense. Of course, yeah, sense. it all adds I, up. Of course, I emotionally connected with it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so he he did die in uh, 2017, and uh, um, and I got to write um, sort of an obituary for Esquire, um, even though again it was like you know my editor didn't know who it was, but it was like trust me, there are you know he's there not, are fans. Yeah, yeah, like he's not huge, but there is a small and like super committed community and they'll they'll read it and uh and they did and um so through a mutual friend uh his brother um got a hold of me and uh and um god yeah when they came out to like do all the you know the memorial the the la memorial service and whatever it was uh right around the time of our christmas party and Mm -hmm. so they came and i got to know his brother a little bit and then um maybe three, four years ago, um, he asked for my address. And uh, and like a week later, I got, like they had cleaned out his uh, Tommy's storage unit or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I got like tons of old, like old cassettes and um, and promotional posters. Here, amazing. Let me, let me turn this over yeah. here. Oh my gosh, In the middle so there amazing. is a promo poster for Tommy Keen's first album. Uh, which is impossible to find. Um, yeah. He sent a vinyl copy of that first album, which is impossible, impossible to find. And 
and just some just some old stuff. And I was so happy to get it. And uh, and like so, I sort of I don't know. It's like I've got this some old stuff of his like just hanging That's out amazing. in my office. Um, anyway, yeah, I don't know. So and, and you know, having written about him, I then heard from many many more people who were kind of in the same boat who just couldn't explain why they liked him so much, but they but they did. I'm I'm excited because now now my audience will get a chance. You know, there's this mm-hmm. is there's a probably a lot of people that are in my sphere of music because I tend to cover the bands. You know, the people who are, are tuning in are are that '90s grunge alternative explosion. That's definitely was my teenage, my adolescent years. And while sure. I grew up with you know my parents playing Beatles and my dad listening to Zeppelin, and and then I was also raised on classical and I was raised on musical theater. I was in musical theater, so I have this very you know whenever. I mention a band that's kind of out of my sphere people on my you know videos are always like I didn't know you liked that and I'm like I I do I there's a lot of things that I listen to outside of 90s I also pursue music now but when you shared this with me I was like I'm so glad that I have this place where I can show my sphere Tommy Keen and they can they can check him out and uh, it's exciting and your story about being on MTV, saying it, saying it's one of these records, it reaching the management. I'm living a very similar experience where I am now because of social media and because of my videos. Here I am in my 40s and I'm mentioning and making videos about my heroes and people that I grew up adoring and loving. And it is still surreal to me every single time. I never get used to it that I make a video about a band and that band reaches out within like 24 or 48 hours. It's so surreal to me. You know, like I, I made this video about Silverchair. Dan, Daniel Johns is messaging me like a day later from Australia and we're talking. I'm just chit chatting with yeah. Daniel Johns. And I'm like, what is my life? What is this that, yeah. that that you make a video? And then the artist is like, thanks so much. Yeah. And then and I it, it's so crazy to me. And I, I you know, it, it even goes on the on the smaller bands, the lesser known bands, the guys from Superchunk, the guys from Quicksand, like these guys yeah. from these more underground, you know, alternative bands that I'm into. And when they message me, I'm, I am just as ecstatic as I am when it's the giant megastar. I'm like, this is so cool. I can't believe they're reaching out. They saw my video. I'm so happy. Yeah. That um, never yeah. gets Old. It never gets old. It never. You know, and I, I don't think it ever will. I still, yeah, it's still a thrill when, like, you know, I mean, I, you know, working at MTV, I did get to meet a lot of like famous people, but sure. I can't say that I met a whole lot of people who, um, who were like pivotal for me. You sure, know what I mean, it was like, you know, Mandy Moore is great. Yeah, there like, was the you know, she's that 16, era when I was yeah. meeting her. It was just sort of like it was fun and all that, but it was, you know, I can't say that, you know. Uh, I, you know, in sync, like, you know, changed me as a person or whatever. But sure. like, you know, the, the, the artists or the writers or whatever who did, um, there is this world now where you can sort of like, n- we can know each other, you know? Yeah. And, and that's yeah. so, cr- that's still really exciting to me. Yeah. You know, yeah. when somebody who wrote or made something that like, that like ch- ch- changed me or affected me, yeah, um, it becomes a person that is in my sphere. It's it's just it's it's still like you know I'm in my fifties now and I've been at this job for a long time. Yeah, so like I should get over, I should like get used to it, but it's still it's still a thrill. Yeah, absolutely, and I I can relate also parallel um, to when you were starting at MTV and you know I haven't worked in music. I 
it's funny because I don't know why it didn't dawn on me when I was like a 20 something that I could work in music. Like I played in oh bands, but I, it oh, never dawned Jacob. on me. I know I, it, I, I, no. I pursued a film career, a film intelligent career, and that has been nothing but heartache and pain and awful. And I literally I was like, I, I, I literally walked away before these videos went. I was like, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. And the moment I started talking about bands, people started paying attention. And there's this part of me that wishes I could go back in a time machine, grab 21 year old Jacob and be like, do something with music, man. Like you should be yeah. incorporating it into your creative career. Yes. But, but here I am and I'm finally still getting the chance. I'm not dead yet, you know? No. So. <laughs> and you're doing it in a, in a more interesting way than you would yeah. have when you yeah. were 21. I think if you would, yeah. you know, I, I was very much the same way. And I could, I, I like, I get to kick in myself a lot because, you know, yeah. I tried so hard to have a normal job and life and career and stuff because mm-hmm. I just, I, I like, I don't know how I could be so obsessed with music in my teenage years and like literally, you know, like I said, reading Bill, reading up trade magazine about the music industry <laughs> any it. chance I got right. and not understand that there's like jobs for people who are who have that level of like uh obsession no and like and and like you know like period like detailed you know yes. love of a thing there's a whole industry around it and it never I had no occurred idea. to me never occurred to, to me to to pursue that I, I didn't I didn't know how Right. It was just like I don't I don't know what I was thinking. I mean, I I just don't know what I was thinking. And I do get to kicking myself about that from time to time because I could have found I could have found my road a few years earlier and saved myself from some heartache. Right. But who knows what kind of monster cokehead you know idiot I would be if I were right. like in the music right. industry at age 21 working at a label in promotion or something. It's like, true. You know, I could have learned a lot of bad habits or just, you know, yeah. whatever. Like, it's my path it's was true. meant to be my path. And your path was meant to be your path. It's it's uh, well said. And I have to remind myself of that. And I'm getting better at accepting that the older I get, you know, the more uh, as time goes on, you begin to go like, well, this was my road for a reason. And it does seem like that where I'm standing right now is exactly where I'm supposed to be. And I yeah. I wasn't ready um, even when I was trying to be an actor in my 20s, if, I, I do also think about the success and how that could have demolished who I was as a person, my character and everything, because I just I didn't have enough of a foundation and strength of knowing who I was to be able to um, do that and and kind of come out still a good person. <laughs> yeah. So same. I had same. to grow up and I had to learn a lot of things al- along the way. And um, um, I started telling you this because I I, I re- realized when you were talking about being around Manny Moore and these people that it didn't quite have the same effect on you as meeting the idols from that younger time. When I was in my um, early 30s, the my cousin by marriage, he joined Panic at the Disco and he became the bass player of that band. And it was wild because I could be around that band and I could be around their contemporaries and it was cool. But it has nowhere near the same impact at that time when I would be around those artists. I would be like, this is nice, cool. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't the same as somebody that was inspiring me when I was a teenager. You know what I mean? Like those artists and the people that I'm connecting with now and the people that were part of those formative years, that really really is a thing that I can never get tired of because I just want to always tell these people, like, you have no idea 
how much you mean to me and how much I hold you dear in my heart. And um, yeah. and it's just wild how once you cross a certain age, you can meet the most amazing, talented artists in the world. But you're like, but you weren't part of the creation of Jacob. You weren't you didn't yeah. build me up into these little blocks like yeah. these people over here did. Yeah. You know? So you get to observe it in a different way. You totally you do. You get to like see the thing and it's like, yeah, it's fun to watch, but it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. You're not nervous. You know, I recently did a thing. Okay, so uh, a good friend of mine is a is a uh, musician and songwriter who um, is is tight with the the lead guy from Pierce the Veil, which is like yes. an emo band. Right? Yes, I'm, I'm familiar. And, uh, and he's he's co-written songs with them through the years, including the song that just went to number one, their first number one ever. Oh wow, wow! Um, on the alternative charts, it's called Emergency Contact. I just I just heard, I heard it this morning. At the, I think I've the, I think I've heard it. Uh, yeah, English muffin sandwich place on Ventura. <laughs> but anyway, so they have a new album out, or whatever, a few months ago they released a new album, and uh, and the the lead singer was like, we're gonna do we're gonna do like a fan event, and you know, would you come and be like do the Q and A? with right. us at the performance. And I was like, sure, great. Um, and I'm like, and I don't, you know, frankly don't know this band really at all. They're not. Like, I don't really either. Yeah. Um, that They're just, like not a part of my world. But I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And uh, and this guy, the, the singer was like, yeah, the kids are going to show up at about blah, blah, blah time. And I was like, okay, ki- I don't know about kids. Um, <laughs> but like, okay. So it was whatever it was, four months ago in Glendale. And I... Drove myself out there, and like the line for this event, when I tell you it was a mile long, it was a mile long. Like it was several Unreal. long Glendale blocks, and like, and it was at a, uh, like this event was like at a studio, and there was room for maybe two hundred kids, and it was packed with two hundred kids, and like, and it was, like, and 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 those kids were so excited to be that close yeah. to their idols, yeah. and it was like. You know, in my head, I was like, oh, whatever, this will just be a fun thing that I'm doing for a friend. Um, but once I got there, it was like, oh, no, this is, this is, like, this is the music that moves these kids. Absolutely. And this is super important to them. And that thing never goes away. It never know? goes away. Like, that it, It's the young people still need that thing. They still do. And, uh, yeah. And I think a lot of those kids were rooting for this band because they were a little... You know, they never really became huge. Now, now they have a number one. But now like, it's working out for him. Yeah. Now it's working out, and uh, it, it was just it was one. It was a reminder that like you can, even if it's not your, even if it doesn't make your stomach like do somersaults, it, it's still super exciting for somebody. And yes, you can, nev- you can never get like jaded. A hundred percent. And that is a big mission that I have behind my content, which is. Music being as subjective as it is and as important as it is, I get a lot of messages or requests that say, uh, you know, talk about bands that you hate or be critical of, you know, tell tell us the things that you don't like. And I'm always like, you know, if, if there was ever an opportunity that I could do it in such a way, like whether it was an article or something, I got to talk about why something didn't connect. Sure. But my my feeling is always it, it somebody loves it. It's some, you know, like it's important to somebody. And why, why would I ever, ever shit on something that somebody loves and holds dear? I just, I'm so cautious and careful to do that. And I've never understood why I could have a video about a band, you know, whatever, whatever band I'm talking about. And somebody comes on and says, this band sucks. I'm always like, 
what, why did you stop by? Why did you come to my party? Why, why are you here telling me your opinion on something that we all clearly love and enjoy? I've gotten used to it, but I've yeah. just never understood the mentality of, you know, there being a flower shop and somebody just walking up off the street and leaning in and going, I fucking hate flowers. And you're like, yeah. I, we're a flower shop. I don't know what to tell you here. You know, we're we're right. we're we're doing you our thing. You didn't have to come in at all. You, you didn't have to come in at all, and and we're fine not knowing that information. But the internet has made it this place where, whether people love something or hate something, they feel like they have to be heard and have to be seen. And I'm always yeah. like, if you're gonna hear me or see me, it's gonna be to uplift, to praise, and yes. talk about things that I enjoy. And I'm not gonna exactly. waste any time talking about things that I don't like. You know, that's right. for my friends over a beer. Um, in sure. qu- in quiet. I can be judgy, but yeah, but it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah right. I don't. I can really be judgy. Sure, hear it. You know? Right. Yeah. yeah, and and you also there is. I think we've maybe lost sight of the concept uh, of uh, not everything being for everyone. Right. Right. Um. You know, like there are certain things that it's like, like no, nah, I don't like this, but it's like, well, I'm not. I'm not supposed to. It's yeah, not, you're not. not spo- they didn't make it for me. You're not. Yeah, exactly. You know, I don't. Whatever's playing on Nick Jr. right now, I probably isn't, wouldn't like. Isn't for me, but they didn't right? Make it for me, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, you know? and I'll go through a I'll go through a, a mix, a playlist of stuff that's coming out now. That's like the new hit songs, and I'll scan and I'll go. None of this is connecting, and I'm like, yeah, but you know what? It's really not supposed to. It's really it's not, not for me. To. They're not singing not to me. To. They're not writing about where I'm at in my life, and I can usually tell that right away. And yeah. uh, and that's just the. It's not that, for you. It's not for me. It's, it's not, and it's not. It's not supposed to be. So, yeah. and that's yeah, okay. It's that's totally okay. That's you know, okay. I meant to ask you earlier because you seem to connect with the idea of being like the only person who liked something. Oh yeah. So what's yeah. what was your formative? I'm the only person who knows or likes this thing. So my brother and I, um, we were listening to this college radio station. My brother is two and a half years older than me. He was a huge influence, and I, I just, I loved everything he did. And I just, you know, I wanted to be like my my brother, Joel, and he we would discover this college radio together. And it was this really weird oddball stuff. It was called the Edge of Insanity. And um, and they would play like underground uh, industrial and things like that. And the the descendants and the the pixies and all these bands, Jane's Addiction, and this was before the grunge explosion. And my brother and I were taping it off the radio, and I, I really connected with this idea that there was like, I was listening to something that would get me into trouble. And so I would say that I really, like Pixies is an example of something that was crazy sounding that yeah. nobody in my sphere was listening to. Like Frank Black was just screaming in the middle of a song for no reason, not like a metal scream, but just like a like a cry out. Yeah. And I remember showing it even to some of my peers at the time when they were like, the fuck is this? You know what I mean? Like yeah. it just didn't it just didn't work. And then years later, they would be like, by the way, love Pixies. So good. And I was like, sure. just like you with your story. I was like, yeah. well, thank you for finally catching up to my knowledgeable level. But that was yeah. that was a band that I held dear to because even though. Yeah, there was probably some, you know, um, here comes your man being played on 120 minutes. It still wasn't anything my peers or anybody in my circle was listening to. And I felt so cool popping on Doolittle and being like, Mm -hmm. this is for me. (laughs) College radio is such, uh, is so important for like a, 
maybe 15 year span of time. Yeah. You know, like I think, I think it kind of started, like I said, in my brother's age, like. Yeah, definitely. Alternative music was sometimes called college music. Like in the back of Rolling Stone, it was like the college music charts. And that's where you would see the Pixies and, and things like that. And uh, there, there was a college station in St. Louis too. Actually, it was sort of college. It, it wasn't. It wasn't. And it wasn't like a public radio station, but it was a a tiny, tiny little tiny station one. Yeah, not well that known. Was, that came out of a, a college in St. Louis, and and it had like a seven mile radius where you could uh, where you could listen to it. It was eighty nine point seven KYMC, and I was obsessed with that in like eighty four, eighty five, eighty six, and then in eighty seven when I got my driver's license. I drove over there and I lied about my age and I applied for a shift and I got a shift. Nice. So for like my sophomore, junior, senior year of high school, I had Saturday afternoons on this uh, little tiny radio station. And That's it was, amazing. It was heaven. Heaven. You know, I got, and still I didn't realize like, oh, I can maybe do, not necessarily be behind a mic, but just like do anything in this business. I, I just didn't. It blows my mind. It blows my mind. I? I want, one of yeah. my most impactful young adolescent movies, which of course it was, was Pump Up the Volume, Christian Slater. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I can't believe I, it didn't dawn on him and be like, you could get into radio, you could get into broadcast, you could get into this thing. And I never saw it in front of me that it would be a thing. I've never been a radio host and I've, now that I do this and I make, I'm like, I, I would, that sounds like a dream come true to do something where you just are talking and playing music and, and interacting with people about it. It's just something that never dawned on me. And yeah. it, 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 at the time when I was an adolescent, I think it probably came from being in theater and being in plays, which I've talked about this on the show before, but just to give you some context, that was the thing that stopped that stopped them strangely enough from bullying me and picking on me because I was funny and they were really mean and they were, they would say awful things to me in the hallway. And then I did, I did a musical. I did bye bye birdie. And then the moment I did the play, I made them laugh. I made all those asshole jocks laugh. And the next day of school, they treated me differently. And so I found a huge amount of solace and peace in being uh, uh, in the public eye and performing in theater. And so that's why I chased it so hard because it really, it really felt like the thing that I could do and that the world would accept me and appreciate me. Little did I realize at the time that music was so much more like hardwired into who I was as, as a person. And that when yeah. I began to speak about it, people go like, well, that's your, that's the torch right there. That's the flame inside that you're all about, yeah. you know? So yeah. Yeah. it's just wild. Wild. It is wild. It is wild. <laughs> but, you know, here again, thank God yeah. we are alive at the moment that we're alive. Because I agree. you can do these things. I can. You can make these connections. And, yeah. um, and you can just, you know, the, it, it's, I, I, I think, you know, my older brothers don't understand it at all. Like, I, yeah. I try to explain to them what my career is right now, and it's, I have a very hard time doing it because <laughs> it's hard to, to describe anyway. Yeah. But it's like, but we can do these things, and the the, the stuff that we want to talk about and connect with people about, um, it's like, we put it out there, and we find find those people. Yeah. That's exciting. It is exciting. It is. And, and, uh, I, I I feel like we could literally talk forever. We have got to get mm-hmm. together and hang out. And uh, Absolutely. I, I am dying we're to so spend. Close. I know we're so close by. We got to make it happen. Yeah. And, you know, I can't keep you all day. But you, you after MTV, you went on to do a ton of hosting and 
uh, on TV and acting. You were on Reno 911. I feel like I've seen you pop up in movies, and I'll be sitting there and be like, yeah. "There's Dave Holmes," you know, like yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. And um, you know, you've you've and you've really carved out a wonderful career, you know, as a writer and working nice. with Esquire, and um, and also having the podcast that you have. Um, you have the one that you did, which was I just learned about this, this waiting for impact, which is just yeah. absolutely hilarious to me that you got so laser focused on this phenomenon, which I highly recommend everybody. I haven't listened to the show yet, but I read up oh, about your okay. journey of how this uh-huh. came to be. And I was like, uh-huh. I love this music obsession that you saw this sudden impact, this band in the Motown Philly video, which I totally remember. Yeah. And you spent 30 years just obsessing like what the fuck happened to Sudden Impact and then you made a 10 episode podcast about it which yeah. is just yeah. incredible. I am prouder of that than almost anything I've ever done in yeah. my life. It, it felt it felt <laughs> very much like a second book honestly yeah. like in terms of just you know the uh the the uh, the amount of time it took yeah. uh and work and whatever but it's yeah you know I, that is a perfect example of something that it's like it is a very specific thing so specific. that people probably don't think about, but maybe right? they do, and, and maybe they remember it. But it, to me, is is uh, an an interesting way to get into some of what we've talked about here uh, about like um, uh, the idea of like failure, you know, of of like setting out to do something and having like having stars in your eyes and having like a, a big dream and you make a go of it and it doesn't pan out. Like what happens, you know, what, because you keep, you keep living. Right. And, uh, and so like it, it, to me felt like a really interesting way to explore a lot of that stuff. And, and I, and I talked to, you know, I I do talk to the, the band, but also to a ton of other people from, from that time in music uh, about their journeys. And, and it's, it's, it is, uh, I'm, I'm super proud of of that show. So I am going to listen. I'm going to listen because it's almost like a it's like a detective like sleuth, like get to the bottom of this mystery. But it's also about music. What a cool combination. Thanks. You know? Thanks. It's yeah, I, I, I'm it's it, it was a, it was a wild ride. I'll yeah, tell you that. And then your your main show uh, before that and still going is homophilia with Matt mm-hmm. McConkie. That's been Matt going McConkie, on since. Yeah. Yeah. McConkey, Sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's been going on. Yeah. We've been doing that for a few years. We uh just spoke to, to uh, talk about finding your way back to music. Um, we just spoke to Isaac Mizrahi, who you know is like yes. a, a fashion designer, but he he too like wanted to be an actor. Thought that's the way he, that he was going to go. He basically went to the Fame School in uh, in New York City, um, and that didn't pan out for him. But the the designing did, and uh, and now he's like, I've got the money. Like I still make clothes here and there. But what I want to do is perform. So he like he has a cabaret act and he performs at the Cafe Carlisle and I love it and all that and uh, like he's you know he too is just kind of like well, how do I want to express myself that that's the way I'm going to go I'm going to go and do that I love it anyway, I love it so you've been doing that show for it's been since 2015 I think yeah yeah Hom- homophilia so years wow yeah love time it time flies love it I hope to have time this flies. I know right I hope to have this podcast go on that long as well yeah. um, and well, longer longer why not yeah. right we can record these why forever stop. Why, why stop why stop why stop but so many things uh, about your career you know the, the acting thing um, was that did you know that you wanted to act or was it just something you kind of fell into because you were working around other entertainment folks and in the in the well, public eye you know I always 
like I acted and I did the musicals and stuff all through high school as well in college. Yeah. Um, and I never pursued it, you know, uh, I, I didn't like, I didn't really go after it. Uh, I moved to New York and, and when I was like before MTV, I was, uh, I did like improv. Right. I was in an improv group and stuff uh, in the 90s, like before UCB got there. So it was not cool. <laughs> and we were not good. Um, but when I, after MTV, when I moved out to LA, I kind of, uh, I got back into that world. And so I right. fell in, like, that's kind of my whole friend base is people I met at Improv Olympic on Hollywood. Oh, I love it. And uh, yeah. And so, like, I, I would audition here and there. Um, but I, Reno happened because I loved that show. And in season one, the main cast played all all the perps. Like all the perps have their faces blurred out because it's other people from the cast. Oh, gotcha. And so in season two, uh, I had read or heard or whatever that they were going to open it up, and I was like, "Get, just get me in there. Get, get me, in, me the in, there. Get in there." <laughs> and uh, and I I auditioned and and they uh, and you know I got in and and my character recurred through the Les, whole rest Leslie of Frost right Leslie Frost yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah. it was uh, that was a total blast that um, that group I've loved you know obviously MTV origins on the uh, MTV the state um, mm-hmm. and just being a fan of that so when it, it w- fell into Reno 911 I was like I love these guys and I love what they yeah. put together so just yeah. so so they're, cool they're so much fun so much fun uh, and they're so funny so yeah. funny you should you um, should come with me yeah. sometime there's this really cool thing here in la it's called the middle-aged dad jam band with david wayne and ken marino wow. it's so fun it's so funny oh, okay. it's several of the state members and then like crazy crazy drop-ins like weird al yankovic and they'll play like in a sure. backyard and they'll play these you know mostly 70s and early 80s like hit songs you know springsteen all that stuff but it is so fun um i got a chance to meet david and uh uh-huh. and ken and just meeting those guys was was you know again fanboy cork plop it in and uh, one of my earliest, like when I was making the TikToks and I got a follow from Thomas Lennon, I literally was like, oh, my God, I'm so excited. Uh, I'm so oh, he's excited. the nicest. So he's excited. The nicest. I, I still never dude. met him, but I am such a Thomas Lennon fan. And I used to do his, uh, you know, I used to do in high school, I would redo state sketches and, and I would I would choose like the Thomas Lennon ones that were my absolute oh, favorite. So he's so great. Just an absolute genius. Yeah. When that when that show was on. um like if if um if if they were going to use me in an episode they would like uh you know call a couple of weeks before and uh and when one of those numbers came up on my on my like uh whatever caller id it was like oh boy oh boy something, something fun's about to happen yeah. you know i don't know what it's going to be but like it's yeah. going to be fun and then you get to set and it's like uh the only rule is like wait a minute just wait like a second before you laugh yeah. Um, so the editor can like cut a scene together because oh, wow. it's not it's not don't break. It's just try and hold it together for one second before you break so that Wow. Um because that's all we would do was just make each other laugh yeah. all day long. Yeah. Uh, God it was a, What a thrill. What a thrill. I love it. I love it. Well, I hope to see you uh, appear surprisingly in future projects that I'm watching after the strike is over, of course. After Uh, the strike is over. After the strike is over. This dad gum strike. Are you picketing? Uh, 
I haven't I haven't been able to make it out there yet, but I am a 100 percent a supporter of the strike. And, uh, you know, I have one of those day jobs that is not in the entertainment industry whatsoever. So I have I'd have to I'd have to go into work and be like, hey, I'm going to go out and strike today, you know, so I'd have yeah. to do that. But Tough. I I, I, I should I should get out there on the picket line and, and walk around and high five all those amazing yeah. folks. And this Universal's is not blowing up today. I'm sorry. I'm missing it. I know. Like and tons, I uh, tons of people. I, I witnessed the first one. Um, well, you know, I've lived in L.A., you know, like you have for a long time. And my one of my big jobs to pay the bills was I worked at NBC Universal um, and I worked in the, the film IT department. So it was the tech but I got that job in 2007, and I think it was 2008 that the strike for that writer strike began. And I remember going to work and looking out my window and seeing all these people, you know, picketing outside my work. So it's crazy that that here we are yet again, and these greedy bastards cannot just fucking get it together and and help people make a, a livable wage and and figure yeah. shit out. So. Just wrong with y'all. I know, right? I know. We can but, go on yeah. forever. Yeah, the Writers Guild is allegedly sitting down uh, with the producers today. Good. So who knows? Who knows Hope, what may. F- yeah. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I'm we not, just I'm want... not super optimistic, but you never know. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. Because all the all the feedback we're getting now is that it's they're they're going to stall as long as possible and be just absolute right. assholes. So. Hey. Uh, but maybe I'll see you out on the picket uh, lines one of I'd these days it. soon. Yeah, I'd love it. All right. Well, thank you again, Dave Jacob, Holmes. Thank you. This has been so cool for me, and uh, I just enjoyed every minute hearing about your love of Tommy Keen and and you know, for my audience, they should know it was a tough tough thing to whittle down to just one, like it is for most of my guests. You know, when I ask mm-hmm. that question, a lot of, of of my guests go, "Oh, just one." <laughs> it's yeah. like so hard to to, yeah. to narrow it down, but uh, but yeah. you were able to, and it I think is, yeah. yeah. But also yeah. easy. This one is, yeah. you know, I Important. don't just love it. It's like, yeah, it's had it's had an impact. It's had yeah. a lasting impact. Yeah. I think when you went through the whole story, I was like, it had to be this one. This was the one. You knew you yeah, knew totally. it in your in your heart of hearts that of of uh, impactful albums because there are many, of course. You know, yeah, there's many. Yeah. Um, but anyway, thank you so much, Jacob. We, thank you. This has been a ball. We, I'm so glad that comes. That means a lot coming from a podcaster pro like you and. Uh, and please check out everything that that uh, Dave's got out there. He's yes, got the homophilia. You should definitely check please out that do. podcast. And you should definitely check out Waiting for Impact. And he has a book, uh, Party of One, a memoir in 21 songs that mm-hmm. I want to read. I well, just looked that up. It. And I, yeah, I'm going to. <laughs> you, you can. I can. Just I do can, it. I can read it. I'm going to I'm going to get it. And I'm going to, I want you to um, sign your name to it. That's what I want. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That would be awesome. That'd be yeah, great. My pleasure. Thank you, Dave. Thanks again. Thank and you. Uh, well, uh, we'll talk soon. Love it. That was so cool. What an amazing conversation. I will never forget this concept of the fanboy cork. I'm going to be using that all the time because it's definitely something I deal with with guests like Dave Holmes, who I fan out over, and then all these musicians and artists that I'm getting a chance to connect with and talk with. It is this this balance, this delicate balance of being able to show them how much you love and appreciate them, but also not freaking them out. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I definitely geeked out a little bit with Dave here, but I think he took it really well, and I was happy that, uh, that I, I don't think I scared him off. 
off. I think I'm legitimately going to get a chance to hang out with him, and I'm excited about that. So I talked a lot on the show about the things that he's done, so definitely go check out his podcast. Um, Both of them, uh, the limited run as well as the homophilia, uh, all of his work is great, and he he does write a lot of articles. So if you search Dave Holmes, you'll see some really cool stuff that he's written for Esquire and elsewhere. Um, about music and different perspectives that he has. But above all else, I just loved learning about an artist like Tommy Keen that meant so much to Dave and just getting a chance to listen. Now, I couldn't find Tommy's albums on a platform like Spotify, but if you look, you can find, you know, whether it's a YouTube song or whatever. But I, I highly recommend you go out and seek out Tommy Keen's music. It's definitely something that is important and, you know, we should spread the word about his music that he left behind so that we can uh, find a whole bunch of other people who like that jangly feel. Um, Again, thank you for checking out the show. Thank you, Dave Holmes, for being my guest. And if you're not following me on the socials, if you just listen, then please do that. Um, And make sure you're commenting and subscribing and doing all the things that help Waterproof Records grow. Um, Again, distrokid.com slash VIP slash waterproof for that 30% off. And I am trying to get more on a schedule with these coming out. I know they come every other week. And sometimes it's a crapshoot as to what day it's going to be on. But that's just the nature of, of trying to put together this podcast in my free time. So I can't do this without you. So thank you so much. I appreciate you guys always checking out the show. And we'll see you next time on Waterproof Records. Bye-bye. Waterproof.